Verse 35 says, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will, be, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Stephen. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, um, I'm one of the pastors here at Story Church, and it's just good to be with you. I'm glad that you are here with us today. Um, I got a quick story, embarrassing story for you to start off our service. So um, I've been doing CrossFit for the last few months, and uh, CrossFit isn't terrible, contrary to what some other people may have said from this stage. Um, and I, I may have hurt myself recently, but not doing CrossFit. My garage had this big bend in it that may have been my fault as well. Um, and I just thought I would just use my man strength to just unbend it, uh, which I did successfully, but I also tweaked my wrist really bad. And so that actually affected my ability to go and do a lot of things at CrossFit, even though that was not the place that hurt me. I was just an idiot at home and uh, didn't know my own limits. And so um, my wrist has been killing me for like the last week and a half. It's been driving me crazy. It's like, I can't twist it. I can't do a lot of different things. And so now we're, we're at Monday of this week. I'm ready to jump in and start prepping and writing my sermon. Um, and I can't type because it's hurting so bad because I just way overdid it. And so I'm, you know, I got a lot on my plate. I got a limited amount of time. I'm trying to write this sermon and I'm realizing I, I'm not going to get a lot done on this Monday. And so, um, I had to slow down. I had to just kind of soak up this passage, read it many, many times, ponder it, think about it, ask the Lord to speak to me, and I could just see how God had other plans for me. I, I wanted to kind of jump right in and attack it uh, and start getting some work done, but God wanted me to, to slow down, and God slowed me down. And so I really wrestled with this passage this week, just personally, uh, asking God to speak to me, asking God um, to use it in my own life to, to see what he has for us as a church this morning. Um, and he reminded me of some, some hard things through that and, and some other circumstances recently. And, and that's this, I have limitations. My body is really frail. My circumstances are not under my control. There are problems going on that I can't fix. And there are needs that I have that I can't meet on my own. 
my plans will fall apart and my preparation and attempts to predict the future and be ready for it don't go the way that I want them to. And uh, some of you know, I was supposed to preach a couple weeks ago, but we had a death in the family and had to fly um, to Kansas for that and kind of rearranged our whole week and just changed everything around. I really feel like the last couple of weeks, God's just been in particular reminding me of my own vulnerability, my frailty, and my neediness and my lack of control. And then he brought me to this passage on a Monday where I couldn't do stuff and write things. I just had to sit and listen to him. Um, and rest in him. And I, I think that's what God has for us this morning as well. And so I think this, this is a really important passage for us as a church, knowing a lot of your stories, a lot of the hard things that have been going on in your lives and, and challenging things going on in this world. I know that a lot of you feel really vulnerable right now. A lot of you feel needy in a lot of different ways. And many of us feel like our grasp of control over our lives is really shaky. And it's not there in ways that maybe we have felt in the past. And Jesus has some good news for us to speak right to that, for you and for me this morning in John 6. He tells us that he is the bread of life. And he gives us three promises for those that believe in him. Number one, Jesus promises to take care of you. Number two, Jesus promises to make you secure. And number three, Jesus promises to give you life. So in John 6:35, the beginning of our passage, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Well, earlier in this passage, you may be familiar, Jesus performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So these large crowds, thousands, literally thousands of people had followed him, they'd come to hear him teach, and they were hungry. And Jesus performed this incredible miracle where he took only a few loaves of bread and some fish, and he multiplied those out and fed 5,000 people. And so right afterwards, Jesus leaves, and all of these people chase after him. They literally get in boats to cross, um, to cross the ocean, to get across the sea, excuse me, to, to find Jesus. Jesus gave them literal bread and he, he met their physical needs. And so when they find him earlier in this passage, this is what Jesus says to him. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, God, the father has set his seal Jesus didn't say to them, I can give you the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. See, these crowds, as Jesus said, they didn't really want him. They weren't even really as amazed by the miracle that Jesus performed. They came because they wanted their physical needs to be met. They were concerned with what Jesus could do for them. But Jesus tells them that they're chasing the wrong food. He uses this illustration of food. Because there's food that dies, there's food that goes bad, there's food that we consume and it's limited and it fills us up for a short time, but then it's gone. But there's something else that is better, something that only he can give to us that will last forever. So God does promise to provide for our needs. Just as Jesus demonstrated, he can and does provide for the needs around him. Philippians 4.19 says that he will supply every need according to his riches and glory. Matthew 6.8 says that he knows what we need even before we ask him. But when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and with me you won't be hungry and you'll never thirst again, he's not talking about physical needs. Because Jesus doesn't just give us provision, Jesus is our provision. And here's where this gets real. You can remember back again early in the passage, Jesus calls all these people out in verse 25. He says that you aren't seeking me because you want me. You just want to eat your fill 
of the loaves. And then in, G, in, in verse 36, Jesus says, you have seen me and yet you do not believe. So really the, the crux of the matter here is whether or not we believe in him. Because like the crowds, many people can experience Jesus. They can see what he's done. They can see and learn who he is and what he's taught. They can experience things from the outside, but still not believe in him. And I, so I think it's an appropriate question to, to answer in the same way that, that those crowds had to answer this question, which is, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Because thinking is not the same as believing. Knowing facts about Jesus is not the same as believing. Understanding how Jesus saves someone or having an understanding of theology even is not the same as believing in Jesus. Believing is staking your entire life on Jesus. It's placing all your hope on him and living your life with a deep conviction and reality that you would die without him, that you have nothing without him, that he is what you need, that nothing else in this life can satisfy. Truly, there, there is no middle ground here. There's no halfway. Jesus is not an add-on or a subscription service that you sort of bring into your life. You either believe in him and you embrace that you cannot live without him, or you're rejecting him and then therefore you will spend your life trying to figure it out on your own and trying to make yourself happy. Following Jesus is not easy, but we are truly broken and hopeless without him. But for those who believe in him, he promises to provide for us. He promises to take care of us, both our physical needs, our basic needs, but even more so, he is the bread of life who gives us what we cannot find on our own. And that's our first point this morning. For those who believe in Jesus, he promises to take care of you. Okay, now look with me at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So one thing that was really helpful as I had to read this passage a million times on Monday and couldn't write anything is I realized I missed something as I, as I was going through. I missed this important part here where it says that God gives us to Jesus. There's so much going on in this passage, and don't worry, we're not gonna go through every verse line by line. We would be here forever. But that phrase, God gives us to Jesus, is really important. He tells us that if we believe in him, he's going to provide for us, that he's the bread of life, that he's our provision. But the gospel is not just about what we can do or about what we have done. In fact, it's not about that at all. It's about what God has done for us. Because what this means is that even in stepping forward to believe, we are given to Jesus by the Father. He is the one who does that for us, who cares for us. We have not and we cannot save ourselves. And that's actually really good news because if we're honest with ourselves, we know how broken and messy we are. Not only has the Father given us to Jesus, but he promises that he's not gonna, it says he won't cast us out. He won't reject us. He won't abandon us. Isn't that a huge relief? I think it should be if it isn't because, and if it isn't for you, I think, it's because we often experience God and think of God in terms of how other people treat us or how we treat other people. And I, just to, as, a, as a step back here, as we go through this I Am series, we are all gonna continually need to rethink our perspective of who God is. Not only is this series designed for us to see who God is, what he says about himself, but we're gonna have to undo some things because we see God through the lens of our human experiences and our human relationships. So seeing God as a loving a kind, a generous, patient father, that can be really hard if your earthly father isn't like that or wasn't like that. Viewing Jesus as a gracious, merciful, unfailing, perfect, and wise friend is a challenge because 
most of the time, we fail in those ways and other people have hurt us and let us down. But Jesus promises that he will never let you down. He will never reject you. He will never cast you out. And with him, there is a sense of safety. I don't know about you, but for me, security and safety, that's, that's a paycheck, that's a place to live, and that's some kind of plan for the future that, that helps me not feel like I'm just freewheeling it trying to figure out what to do. We all naturally gravitate towards whatever can give us a sense of control. But relationships, finances, housing, all, all of these different things, we know that they can fail. They can, they can fail us, they can break down. They're fleeting. Hebrews 13 says this, keep your life free from a love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, and this is the key, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now that, that passage starts by talking about money and stewardship, and oftentimes that's, that's kind of how the focus goes, if you ever heard that Todd or heard a devotional on that. But if you look at the passage, it's really talking about fear. Again, it, it talks about this idea of God never leaving us or forsaking us, that that's actually what we're worried about. We're worried about being abandoned. We're worried about being let down. And then it says that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me and that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we're afraid, we hold tightly to whatever can assuage our anxieties. But here's the problem. I think we've all experienced this. A a quick turn of events can change everything. All it takes is a, a market downturn or a housing crisis, a pandemic, a breakdown in relationship, something going awry at work. And all of the the security that we build for ourselves, everything we try to build up to feel safe and to feel confident, those things can just evaporate in a day. And so even though it looks odd, that's that's why the author of Hebrews transitions from saying to not love money to immediately talking about finding our rest in Jesus and that he will never leave us and forsake us. He is our helper. We don't have to be afraid. And he is the same yesterday, today, and he will be the same forever. He is the only one who is truly reliable and unchanging. And he's promised that he will bring us near and that then he will never cast us out. I think what's clear here in these words, and I think we all know this, just if we're honest with ourselves, is we all have a fear problem. And whether those fears are based on your past experiences that you're trying to avoid ever happening again to you, or it's just a fear of the future. We all have a lot of fear that drives us. We fear abandonment in our relationships from those that we care about. We fear losing our jobs. We fear losing our loved ones or having financial health issues that that are scary and that we can't control. We fear financial ruin. We fear fear being hurt by other people, people that we trust and are close to us. We, We fear betrayal. We fear pain. And often we build our lives out to minimize those fears, to mitigate those things. We spend and spend our money to find comfort and to avoid any sense of pain. We stress about work and relationships and our schedules and our children. We live in anxiety about what other people think about us or about what God thinks about us or what's going to happen next. We all have a deep fear problem. This is why it truly is a comfort and a soothing balm to your soul when you hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger or thirst. I will never abandon you. I'll never cast you out. 
See, other people may and will hurt us. People will abandon us. They will cause us pain. And things in this life will cause us pain. We can't guarantee that our jobs will be the same tomorrow or that they'll even be there tomorrow. But Jesus will always be there. He will never change. Your finances, my finances, they could change. They could dry up. They could get really challenging, just like that. We may not have a safety cushion in the future that allows us to live comfortably or even just to feel a sense of of, of security and have a buffer to plan for the future. But God promises to provide for you even and especially in those circumstances. But even more than those circumstantial things and more incredibly, when you sin, when you go astray, when you burn God, when you turn your back on him, even and especially then, he's not gonna reject you. He's not gonna write you off as some disappointment, even when you run away from him. Once you're his, you are always his. Security from money is fleeting. Security in your family and in your relationships, from careers and cars and vehicles, from any sense of health and happiness, all of those things can be gone in an instant. They're not real security. They're a temporary form of security. But we are truly and always safe and secure with Jesus. There is safety in the arms of your Savior. Nothing in this life can provide you with lasting and true security. But with our God, with Jesus Christ, you are safe in all times, in all seasons, and in all things. And this brings us to our second point this morning. Jesus promises to make you secure. In our final section this morning, which we'll spend the bulk of our time in, Jesus tells us what his purpose is, and he interacts with some doubters and some critics that come his way. He says that his purpose is to do the will of the Father. And then unlike many times where people wonder what he means, he tells us exactly what he's talking about. What's God's will? That everyone who sees Jesus and believes would have eternal life. Luke 19.10 puts it this way. You can see on the screen. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is God's will. This is his plan. And this is the mission of Jesus. To seek and save lost people and then ultimately to raise them up to eternal life with him one day. But the crowd gets hung up on how Jesus is claiming to be from heaven. And they are grumbling. They're complaining. They're disagreeing. They're not hearing what he's saying and they still view him as some kind of miracle worker that just met their needs and they want more of that. But they don't believe that he's God. They don't believe who he is. They don't actually want him. And then in verses 44 through 48, Jesus just gives us this stunning treatise on what it looks like to be saved, how God saves us. And you can read along with me on the screen. It says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So how does God save us? Well, it says that God draws us to himself. And that he teaches us, even what we understand and know, that comes from him. That's a gift from him to us. And remember, Jesus said that the Father gives us to him. This is just another angle of the incredible story of adoption, where we were far off from God, where we were, we were away from him, we didn't know him, we had no business being near him, and he sought after us. He, like we sang earlier, he brought us near to himself with a tender heart. No one can come to God on their own in their own strength. Salvation is never achieved apart from the drawing power of God. 
And that's complemented as we step forward in faith and we believe in him. But salvation isn't just about God bringing you near. It's not just this point in time reality where that takes place and then you're just good and you don't have to think about anything ever again. And here's what I mean by that. It's not just about God meeting your needs and taking care of us in the present. Because there is an ultimate goal. There is a direction. There's something we're all moving towards, that this reality that is huge for us. And that's that we will have eternal life. We will live forever if we believe in Jesus. Verse 51 says this. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And I just want to pause here for a second because... For me, um, my experience may be different than yours. I've followed Jesus for, for a long time. I think sometimes this idea of eternal life, it's so ethereal. It's so kind of separate. We don't really know like, what that means or what to do with that. I think sometimes it can feel like life insurance. Some people call it fire insurance. But how does insurance work? Well, you, pay, you set that up, you pay your dues, and then you just trust that if something goes wrong in the future, something goes awry, you have this policy in place that has you covered. But insurance doesn't really change the way you live your life. You get good car insurance, you get life insurance. That doesn't mean all of a sudden you become this extremely cautious person to try to avoid anything bad happening from you. It's kind of this, this idea of a backup plan. It's a set and forget thing that you just know if something goes wrong, I will be covered. Here's the danger. When we view our salvation our destiny to spend eternity with Jesus, like life insurance, then we do the very same thing. We don't think about it very much. It doesn't affect the way we live our lives. It doesn't change us much. But salvation isn't insurance. Not only is it a promise of what God's done for us, and is it a work that he continues to do in us, but it's a destiny for you. Insurance is passive, but this idea of destiny, of a sure destination, a grand narrative that you, your life is a part of, that everything is heading toward, that is guaranteed, that changes everything. That is active. That is something we participate in. Insurance is set and forget, but destiny changes everything about your life. How many of you have seen the movie The Matrix? some sheepish hands. It's okay. It's not, a, it's not a bad movie. Just in case you haven't, or you need some kind of refresher here, I'm just going to kind of give the gist of this for us. So Thomas Anderson, also known as Neo, he's living his life. He's working in this office and just kind of doing his everyday thing. And then suddenly these people come from nowhere. They get in contact with him. And essentially, just to, to speed up the story, they tell him that everything he's experiencing is not real. It's not what's true. That there's actually something else that's real and true. That there's a wool that's been pulled over his eyes and that all these people are enslaved to this fake world. Everything he thinks of as true and reality is not. And he's, he's skeptical, understandable. And then this guy named Morpheus tells him, sooner or later, you're going to realize, just as I did, that there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path, as he wrestles with whether or not he believes that this is all true. And then he falls under attack, and then there's this crazy scene where he, he slumps over dead. And you think, wow, is that it? Is that, is that the end of the story here? But then suddenly, he wakes up. He's not dead. And you see this moment where everything clicks and he realizes, okay, it's true. What I just experienced, all of this, even his own death, it's not real. It's all fake. It's this virtual world. And then he becomes unstoppable. 
And he goes on to, you know, destroy all the bad guys and a bunch of other crazy things happen. And so I don't want to do that thing. I've cringed at the idea of using this illustration because churches and pastors have done that, like, let's take the movie and show the gospel ties thing forever, which kind of has annoyed a lot of us over the years. But art is really helpful because art can help us feel things and understand things as it, as it props up ideas in a beautiful way. It helps us connect with, rea- with true realities in its, best, in its best form in ways that are harder to do if you just purely look at things logically. That's, that's the grand purpose and beauty of why art is valuable for humanity. So with this example, just like Neo, when you know how the story ends, when you know that everything we experience in this life is temporary, and that everything, everyone around us in this world is telling you matters and is what you should live for and what you should achieve and what you should chase after, when you know and believe the truth that those are all lies and that there is an eternal reality for all of us that is what really matters, that changes everything, just like it did for Neo. Temporary realities, roadblocks, even real challenges and hardships, it's not that they don't mean anything, but they're smaller. They feel differently to us. Because when you believe and trust that the story has already been foretold and that your part and your destiny is sure and is guaranteed, you transition from from thinking to knowing to living what God has laid before you. When Jesus talks about being raised to eternal life and living forever, that's for you. That's real. He's talking about your destiny, that everything in your life is heading towards that that you'll live with him forever. And when your hope and your identity and your reason for getting up every day and moving forward is rooted in that eventual destiny of spending eternity with Jesus, your life will be transformed. You will not be controlled by your sin. You will not be controlled by your anxieties. Fear will not control you. And your earthly desires, the earthly concerns that matter, that are real, they will not you will not be enslaved to those things. They will not drive how you live your life. This is the kind of life that God has for you. One where you are freed from the lies that this world will tell you about what matters, that you're just gonna die someday, so you might as well make as much money as you can, spend it on things that are cool, have good experiences, feel good, avoid pain, have security, and just enjoy whatever you wanna do because what's the point anyway? That is, that's essentially what our world believes. That's what they're telling you. And there are, there are various issues and matters and things that people will, will be driven by and purposes that human beings try to rally around. But ultimately, the world has the same idea that it all just ends in death. And so we're just trying to make the best of the time that we have. That is not what God has for you, friends. Not only is it a lie, but if you follow that path, you'll only be disappointed. You'll always be let down. But God wants you to be rooted in him to cling to those promises that this life is not all there is, that it's temporary and that something better is coming. When you do that, when you're looking forward to that time, as Revelation says, that all things will be made new, that pain will be gone, that all the brokenness we experience will be removed. We don't have to fear or worry anymore. So what does this look like practically? Because I know sometimes we talk about these things in these big gospel terminology and these kind of big, wide ideas, but what does that actually look like in our daily lives? Well, think about the matrix again for a second. How ridiculous would it have been if all of that happened to Neo and he said, okay, well, I'm gonna keep working my desk job 
five days a week. And I'll give you, you know, I'll give you a couple hours on the weekend. I'll give you some hours in the evening, but I'm, I'm going to sort of live in this fake virtual world. And then as a side hustle, I'm going to try to help fight all of this darkness. I mean, that'd be absurd, right? I mean, if you really believe that it was true, he'd be like, no, none of this matters. Like I have to be all in. There's no, there's no halfway here. It's the same for us. A life of gospel destiny is not part-time. It's not halfway. It's not occasional. And I'm not telling you you need to quit your job. <laughs> Don't worry. But a life of destiny rooted in the gospel, it's all in. There's nothing that we hold back. Because why would we? If we really believe what's coming, if we really believe what eternity has for us and that everything around us is temporary, all that stuff we've got to be open-handed with. Because it doesn't really matter as much as those around us might say that it does. Your identity, your purpose, your goals, when they're aligned with God and not with the world, then you can trust him, both that he will take care of your practical needs, that he will, he will care for you emotionally and physically, but even more so that, that he'll give you security, that he'll help you persevere, he'll help you press on. He will be there for you in all seasons. And when you do that, everything you have, everything you are, everything you do, all of it, you put in God's hands and you say, Lord, I trust you to do with all of it how you will. A life of destiny is full of great faith. It's full of hope and it's full of resolve and perseverance. This is what the Bible means when it says to be sober-minded, that we look to the day that Jesus returns. We look to our future. We're serious about that. It matters. We're not joking around. We're not driven by the cares of this world and we're not driven by the pleasures that it offers us. We're driven by the incredible hope that we have in Jesus, the goodness of his love for us and then the mission that he has stated is his that we have actually been invited to partake in, to seek and save the lost. Again, we know the truth about what's coming. We know the truth about this world and yet we are surrounded by people who do not, who still have the wool pulled over their eyes who still believe lies, who don't see things as they are. A life of eternal destiny is poised to truly know God and experience him and is motivated with a sober-mindedness to let other people know about this truth. This is obedience for the Christian. To follow God, to obey his commands, to know him and experience him, and then to show what he's like to all the world. This is a great life. It's a full life. It's a life full of joy, full of peace. It's full of hope. And it's a life of freedom from enslavement to sin and lies. John 10.10 says that there are thieves coming to steal and kill and destroy you, but that God came to give you an abundant and full life. There are things in this world that are drawing you in, drawing you towards them drawing you to spend your money, drawing you to commit yourself, drawing your ideology, drawing your time that ultimately are gonna destroy you. But that God actually came not to rob you of good things in this life, but to give you an abundant life, a good life that's actually better for you. The Christian life is not saying no to a bunch of awesome things and, and miserably just following Jesus and, and self-flagellating. It's, it's a tr life of true joy that's actually better, that God has designed for you, that actually creates real joy that lasts and not temporary ha happiness, that gives you real security, not the fake false security that you try to conjure up yourself, and a life that gives you real perseverance that's different from, from pep talks and TED talks. 
but it's real. And when real stuff happens, when death happens, when hard things happen, he's really there with you. He really does get you through it. This is our third point this morning. All wrapped up into this, that Jesus promises to give you life. True life, real life now and into eternity. Jesus tells us that he is the bread of life. He uses a metaphor that the people there understood and that we understand. This idea of being hungry and needing something, hungry and thirsty, and then being satisfied. And he says, he is the one who will truly and always satisfy you. And so that means that if you believe in him, he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of your practical needs, but he's going to take care of your soul needs that you cannot meet yourself, that you try to take care of, but nothing works. He's going to make you secure. He's going to give you real security that's not based on your circumstances, that's not based on anything you've done, anything you've tried to earn. Just because he loves you, he's going to take care of you and protect you. And then lastly, he's going to give you life, as we just saw. Real, true, beautiful, meaningful life now, and then eternal life of joy and happiness and bliss with him one day. These are promises. These are commitments that God has made to those who believe in him. He will provide for you. He will not cast you out. He'll give you eternal life. These are sure. These are 100%. So how do we respond to all that we've heard from this passage, from Jesus, from our Savior in John 6? The first and most important question is, do you believe in him? Because again, this whole passage, everything we've just read, this is all contingent on believing in Jesus. So has God drawn you near to himself? Jesus' mission is to seek and save the lost, those who don't know him, those who are far from him and need a savior. And so just like the crowds that were surrounding Jesus, many people were around him. Many people have seen and experienced what Jesus has done, even today. But just like those people didn't know him and believe in him, many people today who know about Jesus, who've been in around church or church people, that doesn't mean that they believe in him, that they follow him and that they know him. Jesus wants to give you more than what this temporary earthly life can offer. And like bread, the world has many options, many things that are promises that do not work to satisfy you. Things that will temporarily satisfy you, but leave you hungry and thirsty, needing again very soon. We are all broken sinners. And the Bible tells us that the punishment we are due for our sin is death and eternal separation from God in hell forever. But Jesus died in your place. He took the punishment you deserve. He was resurrected three days later, and then he ascended to heaven so that you could be saved from what you deserve, so that you could have life. He is the bread of life. And when you believe in him, you will never hunger or thirst again. And so maybe God is calling you to follow him today. You could, it could, you could be a person who's been in church your whole life or been in and around the church world, or maybe you're, you've just been visiting or you're listening, but you don't follow him. You don't believe him. Your life has not been about who Jesus is. All you have to do is believe. If God is drawing you to himself this morning, there's nothing you got to clean up, no mess you got to figure out on your own. God is going to take care of that. He simply asks you to believe. And so do that today. We'd love to talk with you if that's you. If you have questions, if you want to make that commitment today, we'd love to talk with you about that. But again, it's not on you. It's all of it God has done for you. He's just inviting you to follow him. Okay, for Christians listening this morning, I have two words of encouragement for us. And you may fall more in one, one camp or both of these camps. But first, I want to talk to the doer Christians. And what I mean by this is 
Some of us work really hard to do the right things. Some of us are more dutiful people. We try really hard to be faithful, to obedient, to check the boxes of what God calls us to do. And that leaves us feeling exhausted and overwhelmed and like we're heading towards burnout. So I want to remind you this morning that just like we, we talked about, this life is not about what you have done or can do. Rest comes from surrendering all of you to Jesus and trusting him. God tells us that literally in his word to cast all of our cares on him, that he can carry our burdens and that we can't carry those things on our own. So while we might feel crushed, our God is strong and he can take it. So I want you to hear those gospel reminders this morning. If you're in that place, if you're feeling burnt out as a Christian, you aren't the provider. God is. You can't create security. You can't protect your family. You can't protect yourself. But God can. And as you strive to obey, to do all that God has called you to do, you have to know that even in that, you can't do it in your own strength. You're not capable. Only he can do that through you. So don't grow weary of doing good, friends. Rest in the Lord and be refreshed that he is the bread of life. That while pursuing him and obeying him and, and seeking to follow his commands is what he has asked of you, ultimately, you cannot do that for yourself and that the measure of your obedience in your own mind, that's a, that's a, a game that you'll never win at. We follow him faithfully, we obey him with all we are, but then we trust him even when we fail that he loves us anyway and that he will forgive us and then he will help us. And so rest in the Lord. Be refreshed as you hear that, that Jesus is the bread of life and that he wants to bring nourishment and sustenance to you. Second, I wanna to talk to the, the sleepy Christians who keep hitting the, what I call the spiritual snooze button. I think we have a pic picture of a snooze button up here. And I'm not being harsh, but I just wanna be real with you. I wanna shoot you straight. I don't wanna mess around. Here's what I mean by that. I know I need to spend time on the word, but ugh, life's just too busy. I'm tired. I'm gonna hit that snooze button. I'll do that eventually. I'd rather play on my phone in the morning and decompress watching TV at night. I know church is important. I know I need to be plugged into community. I, I need to be part of the body of Christ. That's what God has for me, but I'm gonna have to hit that snooze button because I'm, I'm too tired, I'm busy. I'd rather take another weekend trip away I'd rather stay up on a Saturday night and have some fun and, and, and just, I don't really have time for that right now. It's, it's not important. I know God wants me to be generous with my, with my home, with my finances, with my time, but I'm gonna hit the snooze on that, on that, on that obedience because I just need some buffer right now. I, I need something that will help me have some fun because life is stressful. So I need, to, I need to hold what I have so I can feel good and so I can feel safe and have a plan for the future. I know I need to stop looking at porn. I need to get some help. My life is a mess, but I'm gonna hit the snooze button on that. I just don't have the energy to deal with that. And I don't want people to judge me. I don't want people to look down on me. So I'm just not gonna deal with it right now. I know God calls me to share the gospel and I'm surrounded by lost people, but I'm gonna hit the snooze button on that. I just, I don't, I don't have time for that. I don't want people to think I'm weird. I, maybe they'll just think I'm a nice person if I'm really, if I work hard and I'm a good person and one day they'll just ask me why, I, why I'm a good person, why I'm a nice person. That's too real, isn't it? And again, I'm, I'm not trying to heap condemnation on you, but this is real. This is, this is real stuff for us. We are sinners. We know the right thing to do. That's usually not the issue. We know the right thing to do and we just choose not to do it. We keep hitting that spiritual snooze button 
In John 6, 27, Jesus says this, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Our life is a mist. Everything that we have, everything around us, it's perishable. It's temporary. But we don't work for temporary things. We work for the things that will endure. And God has given you and invited you into a life of goodness, of purpose, of hope, with a true and sure destiny. And so you need to hear, if you're in that place where you just feel like you're kind of hitting that snooze button, just kind of procrastinating the obedience that's not just about doing the right things, but really walking in the life that God has prepared for you, invited you in, you need to hear again that Jesus is not a side gig. It's not an add-on to your life. It's not a back burner project. It's your foundation. It's everything. So if that's you, if you're in that place, confess Confess to the Lord. Confess to one another where you've hit that spiritual snooze button. And I'll just confess, I'm a pastor. I'm not perfect either. These last couple weeks, I've been terrible at reading my Bible every day. I got really distracted by a lot of other things going on. I'm writing a sermon, so I'm in the word. But I did not discipline myself to get up early and to sit and just sit before the Lord in the word and in prayer. And I I had to confess that to him as I was reading this and go, what am I doing? What, What does it matter? If I have to choose between a workout or time with the Lord or choose between breakfast and time with the Lord, time with the Lord is worth it every time, 10 times out of 10. So just so you know, you're not alone in that. I don't want you to feel condemned or think that, you know, I have it all together and that you don't. We are all in this together. We all have something to own. The issue is, are you willing to recognize it? Are you willing to confess it? And are you willing to do something about it and ask the Lord to help you? Or are you just going to keep hitting that spiritual snooze button quietly behind the scenes, delaying not just obedience, but delaying the life that God has invited you in, into that's better for you, that's going to give you all of the things that you choose over what God has given to you. So whether you are a doer Christian and you just feel like you're doing that checklist, you're doing all the things and you're just working in your own strength, trying to obey God, or you're a sleepy Christian where you're, you're waking up and you got bedhead and you're hitting that snooze button and you're just not taking seriously what God has laid before you. Ultimately, the hope for all of us and the message for all of us is the same. We need Jesus and he's here for us. He will meet our needs. We can't build lasting security on our own and we can't create a good life for ourselves. Whether it's in an attempt to do good things and obey him or it's in laziness and it's a lack of those things. Either way, We cannot do that on our own because on our own, we will spin our wheels out of control and hit burnout or we'll fall into spiritual apathy and we'll just drift into a a muddy, messy place. But either way, again, Jesus is the answer. He is your hope because he is the bread of life. We choose him over other things because he's the one who can make it so we never hunger or thirst again. And we choose him over even our own strength, trying to do good things by working really, really hard. We rest in him. We obey him as best as we can, but we rest in what he has done for us. And we take the weight off of our own shoulders to earn his favor, to earn his affection, or to feel confident like we're doing enough. Friends, with Jesus, you will never hunger. You will never thirst. He will always meet your needs. Your destiny is sure. You know, we all know how the story ends. We know what really matters. We know that the lies blanketed over this world are lies and we are awakened to what's true and what we are all heading toward, which is eternal life with him. God is with you. 
God loves you. He promises to take care of you. He promises to be your security. He promises that he will never leave you and never forsake you and that he will give you life now and eternal life one day. Would you pray with me? Father, would you forgive us? We confess where we choose other things over you. Whether we choose religiosity, we choose the practices of religion to try to build ourselves up and feel confident like we're doing the right things, or we hit that snooze button and we do other things. We choose other things over you time and time again, delaying not just obedience, but actually experiencing your promises, experiencing the life you've given to us. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me for I do those same very things. Father, we thank you that you have invited us into a life of fullness, that you haven't given us a scroll with a bunch of to-dos on it and then just walked away and asked us to figure it out, but that you love us, that you are present in our everyday lives, that you promise to give us provision, you promise to give us security, and you promise to give us an abundant life now, that if we believe in you and we follow you, we will experience those things, even when life is hard, even when life is challenging. We thank you, God, that we have true rest, true hope, and true peace in you. So Lord, I ask for everyone here this morning, whether, whether someone maybe doesn't believe in you and is confronted with that reality, Lord, would you draw them near to yourself, Lord? Would you give them the strength, the faith, and the hope to step forward and to believe in you and to follow you, to experience all that you've promised to us, Lord? And for those of us who maybe feel weary, feel downtrodden, feel exhausted by life, and we're just trying to do all the right things and keep it together, Lord, would we, would we take those weights off our shoulders and hand them to you? Because you can take them, Lord. And God, for those of us who are guilty of, of a spiritual sleepiness, where we've not been sober-minded, we've not taken seriously, Lord, as you did in my own heart, Lord, would you convict us of that? Would you move us quickly to confession, but then to repentance, where we actually turn away turn back to you and walk in the way you've asked us to, trusting that you are good, that you love us, Lord, and that you forgive us, that you will not reject us, that we're not a disappointment to you, that you're just waiting for us to come back to you because you love us as your children. Father, we thank you for, for your very words, the words of Jesus Christ, Lord, that your son spoke, that we might be encouraged about what is true and what is real. Lord, would you help us to fight the lies that this world will tell us, that the evil one will tell us, and that we tell ourselves about what's real, what's true, and what matters. God, would you continually put before us the destiny that we have, the eternal hope we have in you, Lord? Would that change everything about how we live our lives? Would we not do it part-time? Part Would we not do it halfway, Lord? Would we give all of us to you in surrender, trusting you, Lord, and experience all the goodness that comes with that, Lord, at your feet? I ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.